You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, produced by the broadcast professionals of the Florida Bar. Welcome to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by Legal Fuel, the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbury. I'm a senior practice management advisor at the bar and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our home offices in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm Carla Eckhart. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and a co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos, and articles. So the Young Lawyers Division of the Florida Bar has been extremely productive during the pandemic. Last month on our podcast, we had YLD Inclusion and Equality Committee members Iris Elijah and Anisha Patel on the show to discuss the new YLD Guide to Parental Leave. And then we learned that the YLD Technology Committee had released a new pocket guide to social media in collaboration with the Florida Bar's Ethics and Advertising Department. The rules regulating the Florida Bar are extensive and are updated frequently, so having a committee sift through them to produce a well-resourced guide on a particular topic is invaluable. In our department, the Practice Resource Center, Carla and I get a lot of calls about what bar members are permitted to do on social media, so we are thrilled to have this additional resource to share with bar members. And joining us today to discuss the new YLD Social Media Pocket Guide is the chair of the YLD Technology Committee, Jesse R. Butler. Jesse graduated from the University of Florida Law School and is a partner at Dickinson and Gibbons in Sarasota. He is board certified in appellate practice and has handled appeals throughout Florida in federal court, and he is also admitted to practice in the U.S. Supreme Court. Jesse was a member of the inaugural class of the Florida Bar Leadership Academy. He previously served as president of the Sarasota County Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division after serving for several years on the board as a director, and he is also the chair of the 12th Judicial Circuit Grievance Committee. In 2020, Jesse was reelected to his third term on the Board of Governors for the Florida Bar Young Lawyers Division, where he represents the 12th Judicial Circuit. He has served as the chair of the YLD Technology Committee since 2019. Welcome to the show, Jesse Butler. Thank you very much for having me. So let's jump right in. We, uh, like Christine said in her introduction, we often get questions about social media. The ethics department no doubt gets questions about social media, but what prompted YLD to create this social media guide? So when we started our year, we were trying to figure out what would be a good use of the committee's time. And we also, as a committee, get a lot of questions about what lawyers can and can't do. And as an organization, the Board of Governors is always dealing with these types of issues. And um, it was actually, the original idea came from Adam White, who's our president, our current president of the Young Lawyers Division Board of Governors. Um, And he suggested that we take a look at trying to figure out if we could maybe compile some kind of guide. Uh, So that was a pretty broad um, direction that we were given and and we decided to undertake this project of essentially trying to gather 
as you said, that there's the rules are always changing. Mm -hmm. The bar uh, and the ethics and advertising department have a lot of materials out there that they've put out over the years, but there was never kind of a one-stop shop to, to go to to get these types of questions, at least frequently asked questions answered. And the technology is changing too. So, I mean, mm -hmm. we have materials on our website and we're constantly having to update that, but this kind of it doesn't speak to one specific platform, which is interesting. It kind of just brings everything together and gives everyone a general idea of how to behave across all platforms, which is interesting. Yeah, there's certain there's certain rules that apply cross-platform, uh, certainly. And, and I think most of the rules apply cross-platform. It's just when you come to trying to implement them, whether you're dealing with a Facebook page or a LinkedIn page or your personal website, you start to ask questions about wait, how does that rule actually apply to this context? So we, we've tried to give an overview of what the rules are, but then also give examples specifically of, are you talking about your website? Are you talking about uh, a firm newsletter that you send through some kind of an e-blast? Are you talking about paid uh, pop-up ads or Facebook advertisements? And those types of questions come up and it's not always intuitive what the answer is going to be. I want to start by talking about just some real basic advertising rules, because some of our listeners uh, may not even be aware that, that, that there are um, these things that are uh, that they are subject to in any kind of advertising. So what must always be included in any attorney advertising? So all advertising is subject to the basic advertising rules. And that includes all advertisements have to include the name of at least one lawyer, a law firm, or a qualifying provider, if, if applicable, responsible for the advertising content. Uh, it has to include a location of practice. Uh, you have to disclose whether you're referring uh, a matter to another lawyer. And Certain information in an advertisement has to appear if you're using multiple languages. It has to basically all be in the, the all the required material has to be provided in multiple languages. And I want to jump in because since the pandemic, so many people have been working virtually, and we get this question a lot. Um, they'll say, "Well, do I don't have an office right now? I'm working from my home, or I've moved back to my parents' house, you know?" And so we always have to. I just want to pop in on this one little point. When you say it's a municipality, so you have to say, "I work in," you know. I'm in Sarasota, Florida, or I'm in a Dade County. There has to be some sort of, it doesn't have to say an address for all of the virtual attorneys. So I just want to make that point. Good point. So I think it's also very helpful how your committee has specifically addressed the different social media networking sites like Twitter, Facebook, and other professional networking sites, uh, including LinkedIn, because they're used in different ways. And then like we mentioned earlier, the rules apply generally across the board, but we use them differently for personal and professional. And sometimes the lines get a little bit blurred between our different profiles. Can you talk about when the advertising rules apply and do you have some best practices that you can share when using them for business versus personal or vice versa? Sure. So in general, I think as an attorney, it's best practice to think that any type of platform that you're using, your default should be, I'm probably required to comply with the advertising rules. There are some exceptions. If you're talking about a profile that you have on social media that's purely for personal purposes and is not used to advertise 
your business or to advertise yourself as a lawyer, then you probably aren't governed by the advertising rules. So if you've got a personal Facebook page, you never talk about legal work, never try to get clients, you aren't talking about your law firm, you're just sharing family photos and talking to your friends about their vacations, you're probably okay and you're not talking about um, a site that falls under the advertising rules. But if you do use your Facebook page, for example, to talk about your law firm and share you know, client results and, and things where you're bragging about, hey, I went to court and I won and hey, I'm, I'm you know, using that platform to advertise yourself as a lawyer, you probably should be cognizant that the advertising rules might apply. So I think in general, the big distinction is, are you completely separating yourself from your role as a lawyer or are you blending those together? And obviously, if it's a LinkedIn uh, page or it's it's a website or a Facebook site set up specifically to advertise your business, obviously the advertising rules are going to apply in those circumstances. I know that sometimes, well, a lot of the time you have to submit it for approval to ethics and advertising. A lot of people aren't aware of that. But what if you're techie and you're making those great, like uh, frequently asked question videos and you're posting those up on YouTube? Do you have to submit videos uh, to ethics and advertising? Generally speaking, yes. Um, if you are putting up a video, it should be submitted to ethics and advertising to make sure that it complies. There are um, some exceptions, but I think that that's one area where we frequently have people come to us and say, I didn't realize that putting up a YouTube video, I needed to get pre-approved. And you do. If, if it's an advertisement, which uh, under your scenario it probably is, then you do need to get approval for it. And I think it's important for members to realize, uh, again, always ask, always contact ethics about your intended future conduct. But a lot of times these platforms sort of themselves in the settings kind of blend your personal and business profiles. I know with Facebook, for example, a lot of times in order to have a business page, it needs to have an admin, a personal account attached to it. Um, so you could create a separate admin account just for business purposes, but also be mindful that even in your personal page where you list where you work, for example, and it might link to that business page, people might come to you personally. So you just want to be mindful that even if someone is coming to you on your personal page, uh, you don't suddenly start responding and giving legal, ad legal advice on your personal page. Um, you want to make sure that, you know, they may reach out to you personally, but you respond to them through a different medium or through the business page because you just want to avoid blurring those lines any further. And of course, checking privacy settings and checking all kinds of settings to further avoid those blurred lines. But be mindful that personal and business pages can be quickly accessed through the same app by just a click of a button. So be mindful that, you know, when you're scrolling through your feed, for example, don't like anything inappropriate or, you know, again, business and personal are often blended. So be mindful of how the app has that set up, I guess. And, you know, you, you mentioned something that raises a good point as well. Just because the advertising rules don't apply to your personal page doesn't mean that you're not governed by other ethics rules. And certainly as a lawyer, even if you're talking about your entirely personal Facebook page or your 
MySpace, if anyone uses that, you know, whatever the, whatever the networking site is. Um, but the, the bottom line is you still have to be cognizant that you as a lawyer, you said, you know, watch what you say or watch what you post. The ethics rules still apply. You, you don't have carte blanche to say or do anything just because you're on a personal page. But the advertising rules are a separate issue. That might be another good guide that the YLD could make. If you're still on MySpace or um, <laughs> maybe you, because we keep hearing all these no, stories. No. I, let, let, let's stop this right now. Get off MySpace. <laughs> let's stop it okay, right now. Okay, fair. But if you are that generation, we've heard about the people who thought that they were at the top, they were using it as a search window and they didn't realize that they were posting things that the whole world could see. That's happened to politicians. I mean, there's been, we've all, I think, become a little more techie during the pandemic. But, you know, we, I think we have a whole CLE about, you know, the guy who said, I'm not a cat. So there's a lot of stuff going on. So, yeah, be careful that you're not or, or you think that you are direct messaging someone and you are not. You are, you know, everyone can see it. Yeah, those are just, I think, uh, general tech tips uh, <laughs> in modern era. Don't accidentally blast to your entire friends list something that was supposed <laughs> to be a private message. Yes. I want to talk about, there's a lot of rules and you guys, I also want to commend you because this was so well-researched. It's hyperlinked to the rules. There's footnotes with hyperlinks. You guys did a very lawyerly, even though it's it's easy to read and it's good information. I can tell that you worked with Elizabeth Tarbert's group to get it right. And, and we appreciate that. Good job. But let's talk about some of these details. So direct in-person solicitation of potential clients is prohibited, but it can take many forms. And a long time ago, before I worked at the bar, I I attended a beer festival where a local DUI attorney was handing out keychain bottle openers to everyone in line with his content, his contact info. And I thought, oh, brilliant idea. But now I know that that probably wasn't a great idea. And I think it's funny in the guide, you list some pretty creative but prohibited examples. Can you talk about some of the direct in-person solicitation examples? Because at first glance, these don't really seem like what would be strictly direct in-person solicitation. Sure. So the uh, I think the more obvious ones we talk about are things like a cold call, uh, just calling somebody out of the book and, and trying to get their business. But that's also similar to giving out flyers or business cards. But some, I think, less often considered examples are participating in a chat room. You might join a chat room and you start mm -hmm. talking about a topic that could be soliciting clients or printing uh, advertising materials. Um, there's an example that we gave uh, where an advertisement was printed on a claim check for valet services at a hospital that had a lawyer's information. So certainly any, any kind of um, in-person or where you're giving legal information or your firm information to people you don't know, and you're just putting it directly and either you or somebody on your behalf is giving it uh, out to people, that could be a problem. Right. And, and members have to be careful because a lot of these prohibited direct in-person solicitation examples are actually sometimes good practice in marketing in other professions and in other fields. Good point. Just because you watch some non-legal specific marketing video with all these great ideas doesn't mean that you can suddenly put them into practice. For example, you can't print uh, an advertisement on a wristband to indicate that a customer or an attendee is of legal drinking age. I mean, that's a random one, but it applies to Christine's scenario mm -hmm. <laughs> at a beer festival. It's pretty targeted. You know your audience there. Um, business cards and flyers passed out to passersby. That seems pretty innocent, pretty, you know, 
common practice, but again, that's prohibited. An advertisement printed on a folder given by a realtor to the realtor's clients. Again, seems like a good practice to network and get your business out there. Can't do it. So again, check back with the pocket guide and check back with the ethics department or our department because just because something is a good marketing practice in other areas doesn't mean that attorneys are allowed to take part in those uh, strategies. So again, it's important because people think it's no big deal. And, and in any other scenario, in any other business, it might not be. But because we're attorneys, we're held to a higher standard. So again, check the list out because like Christine said, there's some on listed on there that seem completely innocent and that you wouldn't think are prohibited, but they are. Unfortunately, I think most of these examples come from attorneys who have gotten in trouble for oh, do. Definitely. engaging in this conduct. So something happens and they wind up making the list, so to speak. So you wouldn't be the first person to, to accidentally get yourself in trouble by direct solicitation. Right. Because you think of in-person meaning that you have to be there. So like the chat room, you really are there. So I feel like that one, you know, as far as social media, you're there, you're doing it yourself. But it used to be like old John Grisham novels that they'd have the attorney who was hanging around the cafeteria at the hospital, listening to people's conversations <laughs> and then just sliding over to the, you know, the distraught family members or they're they're hanging out in the lobby at the courthouse. So they were there. But you guys really, I, I'm glad you pulled these out of the opinions, these real world things like, because this one does, there's one that says um, their information was printed on the folder for a realtor. Right. Um, you know, I'm not there. I didn't give it out. The realtor gave it out. It seems innocuous, but it, it's right there. So definitely go through this list. That was helpful. You also talk about targeted direct mail, email, text, social media advertisements. How do the rules apply when you're doing targeted mail? Sure. So targeted advertisements are subject to a couple additional rules that unsolicited advertisements of other types, non-targeted advertisements aren't subject to. So a targeted ad could be either through mail, email, text message, or social media through a direct message of some kind. And a targeted advertisement has to contain a statement as to how the lawyer obtained information about the prospective client's legal matter. It has to include as the first sentence, a specific language that says, if you have already retained a lawyer for this matter, please disregard this letter. And there can be nothing, if it's a physical document, like you physically are sending a letter, there can be nothing on the outside of a targeted advertisement that reveals the nature of the legal problem at issue. And targeted advertisements, certainly, I think we all think of them as sending a letter in the mail to somebody that you've you think might require legal services, but it does apply to text messages that go out and to social media communications as well. And then people often receive these, members of the public often receive these, for example, after they get a speeding ticket, they'll suddenly get a, a mailing that says, you know, if you need legal assistance, so on and so forth. So it's not to say necessarily that you can't do that, but you have to comply with the rules and you have to disclose where you got the information. Um, but again, be mindful that when you're reaching out to potential clients or prospective clients, different rules apply. It's not like reaching out to an existing client. So it doesn't matter whether it's direct in-person solicitation or targeted. Check the rules first because they're not your client. And one of the most important 
I think, developments recently on uh, the targeted advertisement rule uh, was in 2020, the Florida Bar Standing Committee on Advertising Guidelines issued uh, an opinion that described that posts that lawyers pay to appear in the feed of consumers that the lawyer knows has a specific legal problem Mm -hmm. and which the lawyer has no prior family or professional relationship with are considered targeted social media advertisements. So that can be, you know, a Facebook ad that, that goes to specific categories of individuals that you think based on their geographic location or their preferences might require certain legal services. So they've clarified that those types of advertisements or direct communications are considered targeted media advertisements. And so they are subject to heightened rules and usually they have to be filed uh, for review before they can be utilized. So there's not a, a complete prohibition on them, but you need to be very aware before engaging in those types of advertising campaigns that there are additional rules and you shouldn't just go out and, and pull the trigger on sending out these advertisements without understanding the full scope of what you're doing. Right. I think that applies across the board. Again, advertising campaigns for members who are not familiar with what they are. If you have a platform like Facebook, you can pay to have advertising campaigns to sort of reach uh, larger markets. And you can actually, um, like Jesse mentioned, you can actually select the geographic location of where you want that advertisement to appear. Um, you can select specific groups uh, that you want it to appear, whether it's, you know, by age or by gender, whatever it may be. So at that point, like Jesse said, it becomes targeted. So just because Facebook is doing the advertising for you doesn't mean that the rules don't apply. You have, by selecting this ad campaign and selecting to target a particular audience within Facebook, you are now targeting prospective clients. So again, be mindful of the settings. Learn how to use the platform before you start putting out any ad campaigns out there because, again, rules still apply. So now that we've talked about targeted solicitation, can you explain what a non-targeted solicitation is? Sure. So a non-targeted solicitation is funny because it's it's not a targeted solicitation. (laughs) Um, But I've never been asked to define it in reverse because a targeted ad is... I think it's best to start with that. A targeted advertisement is one that's prompted by a specific occurrence, right? So for example, lawyer sending an ad to someone the lawyer knows has been arrested or an advertising for somebody who knows that somebody's house is in foreclosure. That would be a targeted advertisement. Uh, But on the other hand, if you're sending out just bulk mailers, you're just sending out a, you have a, some kind of a, you know, an ad billboard that you put on the side of the road or you have a park bench that you put an advertisement on. That's not solicited. It's just, it's out there. The general public can see it. So I tend to think of it as, you know, just the bulk advertising that isn't directed to anybody in specific or in particular, that would be a non-targeted advertisement as opposed to a targeted advertisement. Right. And I think it's important to note that it, it really is non-targeted unless the advertising lawyer knows the recipients have a specific legal problem. So if you don't know of a specific legal problem, again, it's just you're sending out bulk, then it's likely a non-targeted solicitation. But if you 
got their information from some kind of database or if you, again, if you're doing an ad campaign and you really narrow down the demographics of who is seeing those ads and and what searches they're doing. So if someone's searching DUI um, and you want your ad to pop up when someone searches DUI lawyer, it's likely that it's going to be targeted at that point because that at that point there is a specific legal problem that someone is looking for. So again, be mindful of what you're doing and, and how specific your advertisements are. And that's kind of the product of the times we live in, right? It used to be that if you were going to do a radio advertisement, it was going to be non-targeted. If you're going to do billboards, if you were going to do any type of advertisement, it really wasn't going to be targeted unless you were sending a letter to somebody because you heard that they they were in foreclosure. But nowadays with technology and, and the amount of data that social media has on people and the advertising platforms that most people utilize, the reality is most people do narrow things down. They do narrow it down by age groups or geographic location or interests and all of that makes it a targeted advertisement. Yeah. And the algorithms can get actually pretty creepy if you've ever been on the other end of that, the target algorithms. But like you're saying, Facebook is in particular. And I want to, here's our disclaimer. I want to say this over and over. I should say this between every question. If you don't know for sure, please call Ethics and Advertising. They are 800-235-8619. We know that number by heart because we will not... You're going to explain your gray area and why you don't have to submit it. And we are still going to transfer you to Elizabeth's group, 800-235-8619. And, and Just want to stress d- don't that. quote me on this, but I, I think in a past podcast, Elizabeth mentioned Elizabeth Tarbert. She's ethics counsel here at the bar for members who are not familiar. She's kind of a rock star around here. But I believe she mentioned that if you submit an ad that doesn't require, actually require submission, you can get your money back. They, they send it back to you. So it's a win-win. I mean, contact the ethics department if you're unsure. Ask whether you can or whether you should submit uh, your advertisement and just be, you know, be free of that doubt and, you know, the potential ethics complaint. Which yes, it's a small investment to keep yourself safe. Exactly. That's, that's a good point. Okay, so I want to talk about a current hot topic. This has gotten a lot of recent discussion because it changed a little bit. More guidance, which is a good thing. It's how Florida lawyers are permitted to handle negative online reviews. So, Jesse, can you tell us how are Florida lawyers permitted to respond without violating bar rules? Well, this is a really, I think, important question to ask. And it's something that most lawyers I don't think realize there is a formal ethics opinion on that came out last year. And the reality is, as a lawyer, you can provide very little in response to a negative review because you still have obligations to maintain the confidentiality of your client and you can't use that as an opportunity to violate those obligations. So the Florida Bar has suggested two uh, basically uh, forms of response that would not violate uh, Rule 4-1.6. And the guidelines, or I should say the ethics opinion says that you can either say that your duty is to keep client confidences and that that has few exceptions, therefore in an abundance of caution, you don't feel at liberty to respond 
essentially to their post and there's a specific language that the bar publishes. Or you can basically say, as an attorney, I'm constrained by the rules regulating the Florida bar from responding in detail, but I'll simply state that it is my belief that the post presents neither a fair nor accurate picture of what occurred, and I believe that the post is false. That's essentially, in a nutshell, summarizing a little bit what the bar has said you can say. Unfortunately, that's they've weighed in on this, and that's really all you can do if you think that it's an unfair negative review. I know that the board is taking up the proposal of potentially coming up with a, an amendment to the rules to expand the ability of lawyers to respond to negative online reviews. And that's something that the Board of Governors is looking into. But as it stands today and until there's a change, the Florida Bar Ethics Opinion 20-01, make sure you're familiar with it because you can run afoul of that very easily. And I just want to go over again the, the, the rule that the opinion cites to. So opinion uh, 20-1 cites to rule 4-1.6, confidentiality of information. And the, the things to remember is that a lawyer must not disclose confidential information except as authorized or required by the rules regulating the Florida bar or by law unless the client gives informed consent. The confidentiality rule covers all information regarding the representation, whatever the source. So even if something is in the public record, absent informed consent, a lawyer cannot reveal that information. Um, and the duty also applies to current and formal clients. So just because someone is no longer your client doesn't mean that you can suddenly, you know, rip into them in an online review response um, just because you're no, no longer representing them. So it, again, it, it's important to always encourage online reviews because that's something that we, from a marketing standpoint, um, will always encourage. And, and it brings traffic to your website. It makes sure that your website appears you know, higher up in the search results. But people are invariably going to respond negatively. Some people may not even be your clients. And at that mm -hmm, point, you, seen that. you want to contact the platform, Google, whatever it may be, and let them know that that, that that can be taken down because that person is not actually a client. However, when they were or are a client, again, just follow the sample responses. Jesse just said one of them verbatim and there's one other sample response. But beyond that, your hands are tied. So mm -hmm. there's really not much you can do, and it's really to protect the client. And if you have enough online reviews, eventually uh, those naysayers will not detract <laughs> from your positive ratings. But it's just something to be mindful of. And, and there are uh, ways in which you can sort of mitigate uh, negative online reviews, and it's to constantly check in with your clients, do surveys um, at the end of a representation, a quick short survey asking the client, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like. And even if they didn't like, you know, the, the end result, often when you've engaged with them, when you've communicated, when you've been a good lawyer, despite the fact that you didn't get them the uh, result they wished, they usually don't leave negative reviews. So again, it, it's more about your relationship with the client versus the results you achieve on their behalf. Um, so be mindful of that. But no, 
do not respond. And I think it's it's hard not to respond in anger, like right in the moment. Exactly. It feels very personal, especially if you really went to the map for them and it just didn't go their way. Right. I understand mm-hmm. that. Right. But I'm, I'm glad, Jesse, that you guys put those in there so people can reach for that instead of, you know, um, just like copy Carla paste said. the language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, really, all you can do is copy and paste the language according to the bar. Exactly. That you have two options on what to say. Exactly. So you got to pick one or the other. Exactly. We've all seen a lot of testimonial type TV commercials or always here in the panhandle billboards, the giant billboards with the giant checks. What should our listeners be aware of if they want to include some of their legal wins or their professional accomplishments in some social media advertising? Sure. So you can include testimonials on social media as long as they comply with the advertising rules. They would be subject to, you'd want to familiarize yourself with rule 4-7.13, which governs uh, in part at least testimonials. And you also have to be sure that you comply with rule 4-7.17, which says that a lawyer cannot give anything of value to a person for providing a testimonial. So there are already rules in place about using testimonials. You can use them on your website, just as we see people use them on billboards. But in general, I don't have the rule in front of me, but I believe that it it says it has to be accurate and not misleading. And there's uh, some other requirements within the rule that you should make sure you follow. But you're permitted to do it as long as you follow the rule. And there's also attorney recognitions, which would be rule 4-7.14. You know, bonafide awards, honors, recognitions using the same name or title of the actual award and the date that it was given are permissible to list because they don't amount to subjective statements. But just, again, be careful of what you use to advertise. You you don't want to say you're the greatest lawyer in the world because, you know, that's subjective. Um, so sure. that, that, that that's obviously a very simplified example, but be careful how you advertise your wins because – it might not actually be true. Your opinion is your opinion of yourself, and that's great. Congratulations on your confidence, but it needs to be objective. <laughs> and if you hear from the bar, you need to have some documentation to to back it up. Yeah. So keep. And when you mention attorney recognitions, we're talking about like AV. If you're AV rated, or you have uh-huh. a ten out of ten on AVO, or something like that, those are uh, the types of recognitions that you're talking about. You can use them. Yeah, you don't want to use your, you know, local community papers recognition of you as the best attorney when you've not represented anyone in your neighborhood. So again, be mindful of which recognitions you put up there. They have to be objective and they have to be from a well-known source in the legal profession. They can't be, you know, it doesn't matter if Yelp rates you best restaurant, you're a law firm. So... (laughs) Okay, so some random things on social media. Jesse, do you think it is a good idea for attorneys to be Facebook friends with judges? No, I don't. As much as you want to be friendly with your judges, it's not a good idea. Um, The Florida Supreme Court actually has come out and said that although it's not prohibited, lawyers and judges both should exercise extreme caution when connecting on social media and it's just it's not a uh, it's not a good idea because it could lead in some cases to disqualification mm-hmm. uh, depending on the nature of the relationship it, it opens up a lot of problems is it prohibited no does it automatically mean that a judge would be disqualified no 
but um, the Florida Supreme Court's been pretty clear as uh, a better practice would be don't friend request your judges. Yeah. Uh, poor judges. They must have a lonely social media existence. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it brings to mind LinkedIn, for example. You, you have to be kind of choosy even within a professional networking site who you link with, because even us here at the bar, for example, um, we get requests from any number of attorney member attorneys and any number of providers and whatnot. And my instinct is obviously to not link with them um, simply because invariably they come to us for questions that should go through official channels um, and for requests that should go through official channels, not through LinkedIn. So always before you hit accept or approve, check them out, do a little internet stalking and, and figure out who they are to make sure that it's just a networking connection and that nothing inappropriate is going to come out of it. Don't just go through your list and accept everyone because that can get you into some hot water later. I do think that's true. Some people, I think, treat LinkedIn like Facebook, like they're trying to amass this gigantic network of people. And if I don't know you, like I haven't interacted with you, I'm always going to ignore the request because I feel like you're asking me to vouch for you. Like I take it really seriously. Um, So, And we're not attorneys. So uh, (laughs) if you're an attorney or a judge, you should be even more mindful of that. Yes. So, you know, again, it's it's just being careful. You, You don't need your potential clients linking with you, and then it turns out that they're linked with someone else, check people out before you accept them. That's all I'm saying. Good idea. <laughs> and then let's see, what, what what other questions do we have? Oh, do you have any other tips? I mean, I guess we, we've pretty much gone through the, the big points of the guide. We'll definitely link to it so people can read it in full. But any other tips for lawyers who want to promote their services on social media? Yeah, I would just say Read the guide. It's, it's intended to be, you know, it doesn't take long. It's uh, basically eight pages long when you take out the, the links and the cover section. It's supposed to be easily read and digested. You know, you can refer to the, the hyperlinks and stuff if you want to read more, but it's it's a short read. It's a, it's a pocket guide for a reason. It's uh, something to be a quick reference material. You shouldn't be afraid of having a website or having a Facebook page or doing targeted you know, advertisements as long as you're complying and you should just make sure that you know uh, how to comply. And the rules are pretty straightforward when it comes to advertising. There's a lot of things that I still call the ethics uh, hotline Mm -hmm. about when I have issues. Um, But I think when it comes to these types of issues, the bar has weighed in on them. You just have to find the right rule that applies. And when in doubt, as you said, call the ethics advertising department or call the ethics hotline and submit something for review. As long as you've, you submit it, you're probably okay. If you go ahead and send in the video or send in the ad that you want to use, what's the worst that happens? They send it back and say you didn't need to do it or they tell you why if you had done it without their permission, you would get yourself in trouble and you'd rather save yourself that. So don't be afraid of using it. Just take a few minutes to familiarize yourself with what the rules are. And I think it's important. We can't reiterate this enough to our listeners. We get calls all the time and and sometimes we have to tell them, well, we can't answer that. We have to transfer you to ethics. And people get so scared and squirrely when we tell them we have to transfer (laughs) them to the ethics department. And I just, again, want to reiterate the point that 
when we transfer you to the ethics department, you're not getting in trouble. Okay, the ethics department interprets rules and opinions, whereas we can only cite to them. And the ethics department only handles questions regarding your own intended future conduct. So if you are already in trouble, well, then that's a different department. We wouldn't send you to ethics. We'd send you elsewhere. Um, So again, ethics is a resource. They're not a disciplinary department within the bar. They are a resource. And and you just want to call them 800-235-8619. Write it down. Save it in your phone. You know, even if you know, think you know the answer, call them anyway um, and confirm because, again, this is something that you're going to participate in if you have any kind of successful marketing strategy. You're going to have a website. You're going to have social media. Just make sure you're doing it right. Good point. So it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you, Jesse Butler, for joining us today. Thank you again for having me. It's been a real pleasure. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilbury. And I'm Carla Eckhart. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalFuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bar's podcast via iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center Legal Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.